Stephen's best quality was, was dealing with people and he sold the club to me. I'm so thankful for him because he's given me the best experiences of my football career to date. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Potscast. I'm Darren Potts. I'm going to be your host for this episode. I'm joined by an Irish League winner. He's won the League Cup as well, the Irish Cup, both with Glen Torin, now the Balna Mallard captain, but he's won leagues with, with my club, with Crusaders Football Club. We're going to talk about that today. Please remember to give me a follow on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube at The Potscast. But without further ado, let's get to this conversation with Balna Mallard captain, former Crusaders League winning midfielder Richard Clark. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome listeners, we're back on the podcast. I'm Darren Potts, I'm your host, and I'm joined today by a man that the people, the fans of the Irish League will know very, very well, league winner with Crusaders, it is the one and only Richard Clark. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Darren, thanks for having me, um, really looking forward to it. Delighted, absolutely delighted to, to have you on the show. Um, been a long time coming this chat, uh, as some of the boys, the WhatsApp group will tell me once this comes out, they'll be, it took you long enough to get Richard, but here we are, <laughs> we got there in the end. And at, right from the outset, mate, um, growing up playing football and then getting involved with Oma and then into Newry, tell me a little bit about that stage of your journey. Um, Oma Town came about because of with a few players from Castle Derrick, that Castle Derrick connection. There was the likes of Ivan Sproul and Andy Crawford at that time were playing with Oma. And I was literally playing uh, football with, with Derby. I uh, played with Derby my whole career through youth career. And I played a few first team games for their, uh, the junior team. Um, and at that time, I'd moved on then to the Kellen Rangers and Oma Town Reserves. At that stage, you could play for for two teams. So um, I'm good friends with Andy Crawford and, and he recommended me to Roy McCready. Initially, I started off uh, playing reserve games with Oma Town and um, I travelled traveled all around Northern Ireland playing those reserve games and that's those games actually got me recognition with the Northern Ireland under 18 schoolboys team. So and that was uh, the benefit of that. Um, um, one night, I remember, a long time ago, playing midfield um, against Dungannon. We were low in numbers. Um, I think I got there by chance, really. It was it was five stones soaking wet, I think, uh, when I was 16. So to play me in midfield wasn't, it wasn't conventional at all. And But uh, as I say, I found that position by chance, and I've never looked back in that position. And um, my performances then, I remember that towards the end of that season, Roy giving me debut, came on against Linfield, and and played really well. Um, the following week, then we came and we were playing um, Larn at home, and I found myself totally out of the squad. Um, just I thought to myself, you know, I'd made it. I'd, I'd come on, done really well against the top team in the country, but uh, there was a few players back from injury, and I put them straight in. Um, me being a wee bit naive and wet behind the ear, and I sort of went and asked. Um, Andy Crawford and I knew what should I do, what should I do? I thought I'd done really well. Um, so they they steered me towards towards Roy and you know, go look for an explanation why you're not in the squad. And I remember Roy's words very, very, very well. He said, Clocky in his English accent, he says, 
you've got your whole career ahead of you. It's like a wheelbarrow. So <laughs> I went away none the wiser and and little did I know at that stage that was Roy's way of managing me. You know, he was filtering me in and out. And and I look back at, at that time fondly. Um we were lucky then that we we qualified for for the Intro Total Cup. It was known at that stage. So there was myself, Noel Johnson, and Michael Kerr. We were all 16, and um, we were called up for the squad as such to head to Belarus. So we, what an experience that was. Um, we left on the Friday night. We stayed in Galway um, because we were flying out of Shannon the next morning. I, I thought at that stage, you know, this is so professional, and um, you know, getting down the night before, making sure we're well rested. No sooner did uh, we had the hotel in Galway that the boys have their, their jeans on, their shirts on, and, and shoes on. They were heading out. And this was all, <laughs> all, this was all new. Um, obviously, we were too young, so we, we couldn't get in anywhere. So we had to stay in the hotel. Um, I just thought they were just letting off a bit of steam. But um, we made our way to Belarus. I don't know how. Um, there was no seatbelts on the plane. Uh, there was no, no security checks. Um, if you, there was a curtain in the middle of the plane. I remember it fondly going down in the middle of, uh, and some of the players were down in the back with the guitar having a sing song and the beers were out. Um, I don't think anybody believes me, but um, at that stage, you had to be there to actually believe it. So the fun continued on, on to, uh, to Belarus. We landed in Minsk. There was nobody at the airport. And this, just as a 16-year-old, you know, I was just taking it all in. I was amazed by it all and how it was happening. And, uh, we got to the hotel um, with a couple of days before the game um, we, a bit of a seriousness came that we went to a uh, to visit a, a children's centre um, an orphanage um, just the reward we got from that was, was truly unbelievable we, were, we took the kids sweets we took them clothes etc and you know, kids not they didn't, they didn't even open the wrapper they just ate the sweet hole they didn't even realize what what they were were doing. You know, we, were, we were doing good. Um, so we, we had it back then, and it was the night before the game. I remember Roy's instructions, right, boys? It's time to go to bed. Um, came, you know, ten o'clock. He next thing he had to wrap in the door. There was some of the boys right heading down. There was too many distractions down in the hotel. Uh, there was a casino. Um, there was a bar. There was always other establishments, so you can imagine how this all went. And I was just amazed by it all. Um, to cut a long story short, uh, one of the players ended up too drunk the night before. He ended up being the physio for the game. Um, so I think I'm giving the Irish League a bit of a bad name, but I think at that stage, you know, Irish League clubs going to Europe, I think they enjoyed the experience rather than, than uh, just really, you know, taking it really serious and, and trying to get into the next round. Totally different, total contrast to, to what I've experienced with um, Glintorn and, and Crusaders, obviously. Um, but what a start off for your 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 career at 16 with Oma Town. Um, but it was definitely, it's an experience I'll never forget, that's for sure. I, became, I quickly became a man, so I did, uh, on that trip. Definitely did. Um, then, obviously, Roy, the success he had at Oma with a good side. Yuri came calling for him. And I followed Roy there. He wanted me to go with him. I stayed an extra six months with Town and, and I felt at that stage that I needed to move on. And it was that just that general, that gradual stepping stone that, that I needed. Um, I think the thing for me at, at Uri was, it's a bit like Crusaders, and I think that's why, you know, 
um, the connection I have with the fans and that I think Fury was a homely club that, you know all the supporters um, you knew them and they were so welcoming and they were they were humble people um, I think at Uri, for me, I played every week. Um, I always look back at Uri, and that was my platform, really, to perform. Um, I did it gradually. Uh, I got my opportunities at Uri. Um, Roy obviously left, and, and there was a lot of turnovers of managers at that stage. Um, I know Paul Miller was there, and he left. He took over the, the Lentorn job. Um, Roy Coyle came in, and he had made me captain at that stage, and I was about 19, so... You know, that was a big compliment for from such a prestige manager, somebody who won everything in the game, you know, one of the most successful managers of all time and enjoyed that responsibility at such a young age. And unfortunately, it didn't work out for Roy either. And Jerry Finn came in and again, I continued as captain with him. And again, Jerry was such a good influence on me. He just gave me basically a free role and allowed me to, to go and play and, and enjoy myself. Um, but um, then... The CIS came about, CIS Cup Final at that stage when it was called, the League Cup Final. Um, we played Portadown in the final and as captain you always want to, to be that winner to win the trophy and unfortunately we lost that day 1-0 um, against Portadown at uh, Mournview. We Kutchie scored the winner so uh, he broke my heart that day but uh, it was a pleasure playing with the wee man when, he, when I finally made the move to Crusaders but um, at that stage Darren, I felt, you know, those clubs in for me and that was when I needed to make the next move. That, that next move to, had the taste from the losing the final. I wanted to experience maybe perhaps going on and winning that. And no disrespect in your head, I didn't feel that that was going to happen with them. Well, certainly an interesting journey from the age of 16 up through the ranks, playing in Europe, the craziness that came alongside that to cup final heartache and, and everything. But maybe at such an early age, you'd really experience the highs and the lows of football, you know, in terms of getting to cup finals and losing cup finals and captaining a club. Do you think that experience, those number of years, was a big driving force in terms of your career and the making of you as a player? Yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, I think for any player, if you experience the lows, then you really do appreciate the highs. And that feeling of when, you know, I won the trophies and won the medals. You know, it's totally ecstatic. And um, those experiences did help me. And as I say, playing week in, week out was a major help for me. And it, it gave me a platform that enabled me to establish myself and, and gain a reputation and, and gain that, you know, that consistency in the game that I needed. And as I say, you know, by no means was I a complete player at that stage, but um, I already experienced a lot of highs and lows in the game and it definitely stood me in good stead there's no doubt about that um, there's always a saying in, in football never get too high and never get too low and, and I definitely can, can draw from those experiences that I had in the early days with Oma and Yuri fondly and, and I carried those with me into the clubs that then I went to well, The next one was, was Glen Torren and um, Glen Torren was a was a big one at the time. You know, they were league champions, I believe, the year before you joined. If if my research and my memory serves me correctly, um, you joined the club. What was that experience like at first start? Because you were obviously wanted by more than one club at that stage, but you signed for Glen Torren. And tell me a little bit about signing for Glen Torren and the expectation level and the difference in the changing room, perhaps, from the Nuries and the Omas and then the one of the big two at that stage. 
Yeah, um, at that stage, um, I remember in the January before, um, Jerry came to me and he said, look, the club have accepted a bid here from me, for you, um, from Linfield. Um, at that stage, the bid was £20,000. And I, again, this is all new to me. I was going, £20,000, this is ridiculous. I have six months left in the contract and I couldn't <laughs> believe that, that the club was offering this for me. Um, all, obviously, Newry were, were gearing me towards Linfield, uh, as you can imagine, with £20,000 for them. And um, I stood up and met David Jeffries at uh, Windsor Park. Um, I got the talk and I got the kiss in the forehead and I met Brian. And uh, I'm not going to lie, um, the deal was pretty close. But then I got a phone call then from Glen Torn. It was Aubrey Ralph at the time. <coughs> he made the approach and... At that time, you could speak to clubs, so um, I agreed to speak to Glenn Soren uh, at the time, and Alan McDonald was the manager, and I had experience of working with Alan um, with the under-21s at the time, and I really respected him as a coach and really enjoyed working with him at that stage. Um, and as I say, you know, I met Aubrey, and there's probably a perception in the sense um, that I moved to Glen Torn because of the financial situation of it, um, there's no doubt that that had a huge, huge application on it. But what people don't perhaps know is that the thought process that, that went into the move um, at that stage, Glentor were, were going well. Um, it looked likely that they were going to win the league and they did win the league that year. Um, I just thought to myself that, you know, I looked at Linfield, they were perhaps an agent team. How wrong was I though um, at that stage? You know, Winky Murphy was moving on, Noel Bailey was moving on, and Spike was moving on. And I felt that they were rebuilt and such. And I felt I felt perhaps that Lintour were ready made, and, and that's where I needed to be, you know. Um, uh, and that was a major, major um, factor in the decision making. But as well, it obviously I was going through university, uh, plans to to build a house, etc. And all that finance was, was definitely a part of it as well. But there was definitely a major football decision that came into it at that time. Um, and inevitably, the deal with Glentorn was done. Um, it wasn't the best. didn't go down well with Newry um, at the time. I remember the chairman at Newry, uh, Paul McKenna, I think he had, he had asked Jerry to basically strip me of the, the captaincy and that, but Jerry was true to his principles and, and he knows how, how you think these things work and you know, he's a close friend of mine and he stuck by me and as I say I finished the season out there and I moved to Glentorn. Um just to, to touch on your your question about the mentality. Um it was totally different. You know, I was going to a club now where rather than trying to stay up every year, it was the expectation of, you know, you must win the league, you must compete for the league, you must try and win the Irish Cup, you must win the Irish Cup. So all this expectancy was was uh I was I needed it. Um, I needed a different challenge. Um, but well, you then you know you, you, some big characters in the dressing room. You you your Gary Hamilton's, you had your Shane McCabe's, Dean Fitzgerald, Leaper, Colin Nixon, Elliot Morris. These boys have, have won league titles. Um, but I think at that stage I knew um, as what I needed um, because, as I say, I had that that feeling of. Of losing that cup final um, the year before, um, but as I say, you know, I was then at a stage where 
these boys had just won the league and I felt this is where I wanted to go. Um, unfortunately for me, I never won a league title with the Glens, but the experiences that I, that I gained there and the mentality that I picked up there definitely, definitely helped me. So it did. You mentioned you didn't win the, the league with Glen Torrent and the Glens really began to hit some financial trouble and things really changed a little bit at the club, but you did manage to win a League Cup and an Irish Cup with Glen Torrent, um, two medals, which I'm sure you're immensely proud of. Was the League Cup a bit of a, um, did you feel a bit vindicated maybe because you've got the final and lost? It's like, finally, I've got that medal back. I've got that in the bank. And tell me a little bit about the League Cup final before moving on to the Irish Cup final with, uh, with Glen Torrent against Cliftonville. Yeah, um, the League Cup final actually was a year, exactly a year on from the losing the, the League Cup with, with Uri. So, you know, as I say, that decision to leave was vindicated as such because in the first full season and won a major trophy. And um, it's just that relief that, that you, you get that you've actually, you know, you've gained the medal and you've gained the winner's medal. Albeit it was a, it was a tough game against Coleraine in the final. You know, Coleraine were going really well that year. Um, and the likes of Rory Patterson, who was who scored goals week in, week out, you know, the Darren Boyce. Um, I remember Tommy McCallion in the midfield and David O'Hare, you know, they'd all they're really good players and the real tough game. The game finished two all and, and we went on to win it in penalties and just that sheer relief. And Scott Young had just come in came in as manager as well. And for him that was he was first trophy. Um and for me. And it was probably one of the least significant in relation to the Irish Cup and the, the, the league, obviously. But it was that trophy, that league, or that, that medal that gave me a real appetite for to wanting to win more. Um, and I remember not having a penalty that day. I missed a few for, for the Glens and the Santa Cup and decided not to hit. And um, thankfully, um, we went on to win, win it. And I think... I didn't start hitting penalties again until uh, um, I went back to, to Ballard in the shootout. Uh, I don't think I was ever involved in the shootout with Crusaders, so I never really had an experience of that. So then we, uh, obviously the, the financial situation at Glintor was quite quite uh, unsettling for everybody and it was a wee bit unsure and, and you, nobody knew really what was happening. Uh, obviously we lost some key players due to it and Gary Hamilton and Shane McKee and that moved on and um, you know, those were two key players that we lost um, and evidently the squad was, was split up then but we still had a nucleus of a, of a real good team and the, the year we won the Irish Cup again the financial situation was, wasn't great um, but I think in adversity you know I think that year the no wages and that sort of galvanizes as a squad and um I think you know, we were going into the final we were playing Cliftonville and Cliftonville were were flying that year they were going for the treble um and I remember remember the cup final well you know we, we were we were really lucky to, to, to stay in the game that day um I know Joe Gormley and Darren Boy or Joe Gormley and, and Boise were were on form and Gormley had put them on the lip and Elliot made a couple of good saves but um, it was difficult to take because um, we knew we had more in us and we weren't really, I think the occasion really, really got to us that day. And I, I remember, I remember really well, some of the Cliftonville players running past us and they were laughing. And um, to me, that was a carrot. That was a, 
and motivation. And to me, that was them maybe perhaps taking their eye off the ball. They thought this was going to be easy. Um, and we made a we made a tactical sub at half time, and we brought Jim O'Hanlon on, and and he really was direct. And we moved David Howland into midfield, who was a who was a quality footballer. And you know things changed. Clippenbill, I think, had just basically celebrated too much their their success. They they just won the league title, I think, a week or two before that. So, as you can imagine, they were they were enjoying that experience. Um, but they took their eye off the ball, and, and we exploited that and. I got a wee bit excited, a wee bit when we went three one up. I seen a bit of a red mist that got sent off. Uh, <laughs> <so it is. laughs> I totally blame Barry Johnson and Kieran Cobble that day. I think they set me up a cracker. Um, Kieran was already booked, so he was. But I wasn't booked, so he got a second yellow and I got a straight red. I still can't work it out. Um, Arnie Hunter's from Fermanagh too, so you'd think he would have shown me a little bit of leniency and a wee bit of, <laughs> bit of thought. But um, I remember it so well. I remember. Tried to walk off the pitch and get into the dugout. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> you know, I had to, I had to walk up into the tunnel. Um, everybody was saying, "You know, you need to go up the tunnel." You know, what do you mean? I didn't really know what was happening. So I went up, and it was a long. I think it was fifteen minutes left in the game, or something like that. It was a long fifteen minutes, and and they ended up being here and ended up just having a chat because both of us were sent off and, and set up the tunnel, and we were just we just just couldn't. We just both of us didn't realize what was going on and how stupid we were trying to get sent off, but. Once that final whistle went, um, I remember sprinting down the tunnel and Stephen Carson was the, the first player I seen and you know just that emotion and uh, you know just that you watch the Irish Cup final year in year out on the TV and you see the celebrations and you see how much it means to to people and uh, one that day was just to see if of Glen Torn fans the, the crowd we had the following. Uh, just showed you the, the fan base that the club does have, and when the club was going really well, um, the support they brought out, and the atmosphere was electric, and celebrating in front of them in that North Stand was an unbelievable experience, and and finally achieved you know one of my goals, one of my targets, and that's to win an Irish Cup and the first goal. Um, I think you know, looking back on that campaign, we did get an easy draw the whole way to the final. I think Cliftonville beat Crusaders that year. I think perhaps at the Oval if I remember right. And we had poured it out in the other semi-finals, so we had the, the easier of the semi-finals and such. So I think it was just meant to be. And um, again, winning that Irish Cup gave me an appetite. I didn't have the league title in the bag. And again, it was that appetite to, to go on and win a league title that, that perhaps drew me towards uh, Seaview. So it was. And obviously you ended up making the move to Seaview, as we all know very well. It was rewarded with a couple of league titles and everything else. But how did that move come about? When was contact made and when was the decision taken to, to move then to Crusaders? Um, obviously, I, I love my time at Flintorn. Um, I think any player, though, knows that when they leave a club, uh, they know that feeling themselves that perhaps it's, it's time to move on. And I very much got that feeling. Um, perhaps maybe I stayed. I should have made the move after the Irish Cup final uh, because the likes of uh, Jimmy Callagher and Andy Waterworth and, and those boys had moved on, and I, I could see the team perhaps you know was was perhaps the quality was just wasn't there uh, like it, it, it used to be. Um, but I know my contract was up in the summer, and Eddie Patterson had called me in to to discuss a new deal. Um, he, he discussed the terms, but his, his, the way it panned out, he wasn't able to tell me the duration of my contract. And 
he wasn't able to tell me the was it a an Irish league terminology was it gross or was it net uh, I think a lot of Irish league players will know what I'm talking about when we talk about gross and net in terms of finance but he, he couldn't give me those answers that I was looking for the club had just signed Curtis Allen at that time on a three year deal and I just felt that there was no way the club would have went to, to Curtis Allen and said look we're going to give you a contract but we don't know how long we're going to give it to you for or we don't know how much we're going to pay so the club did offer me a new contract, but I knew it was a it was an indication that perhaps they they wanted me on reduced terms, but they also knew that it wasn't the, I wouldn't accept it because of the distance and the traveling that um Ballon the Mallard are obviously playing in the premiership and um I felt that this was probably the best move perhaps for me. It was closer to home. Um you know, Ballon the Mallard had a good squad as well and, and you know maybe that's something had travelled enough to Belfast for years, travelled enough to Newry for years, maybe it was time to come home. But I remember playing for Glentorn against Crusaders at Seaview one day. I was walking out towards the car park and little did I know now, uh, then, sorry, but um, this person has became just a, a real friend to me and a real mentor and somebody that I would look up to. And had an off-the-cuff conversation with Charlie Murphy um, on the way to the car and... I just made him aware of the situation and that, but and he, he sort of Charlie never committed on, on anything, but um I got the indication from him when I was leaving that he would speak to Stephen um, and see how he felt about it and, and, and that. So that was okay. But I did tell him that the, the deal with Paul Lamar was nearly done. Um but again, maybe that's that's a story for maybe later on when we talk we're talking about Ballon the Mallard. Um but the phone call, I remember it well. The phone call came. I was at a family wedding. And I got the phone call with Stephen Baxter here. Um, he says, Richard, uh, I want to sign you. I think Stephen had me. At, I want to sign you. I sign you. We never discussed anything. So we had at that stage, but that was just the skill of the man. The, the, you know, his ability to win you around very quickly. Um, but the conversation was had. I told him the situation with Balna Mallard that I had agreed in principle that it was going to come, I'd given them my word, but I just felt, I just knew at that stage that I hadn't achieved what I wanted to achieve in Irish league terms, I've won the league title, and I just felt that Crusaders was my last chance to do that. Obviously, I'd turned down Linfield and I'd been at Lintorn and Cliftonville were on their way down as such, and I just felt, you know, Crusaders was my last chance. Stephen told me that he wanted to win the league, I wanted to bring the title to save you, and and when he when he said that, um, then that, the, the decision was made. I had to make a difficult phone call to Wayne Anderson at the time, but uh, when I look back now, it's totally vindicated the decision they made um, to come to save you. Um, I think that between the two clubs, Glentorn and Crusaders, they were they were haggling uh, the whole month of January. Um, I'd agreed to come to Crusaders in the summer. But I think Stephen and the board, Stephen Bell and Aubrey, or the Glentorn chairman, Stephen Henderson, were working in the background perhaps to try and come to some sort of agreement. I think we were trying to maybe do a swap deal with Sean Cleary at that time as a Crusaders. Um, but I don't think it worked because Sean didn't want to go to Glentorn. He ended up going to Ards at that time. But thankfully, they came to an agreement and the deal was, was done in um, end of this. End of January, um, 
and I became a Crusaders player that January. So um, I was glad to move on because I knew that my time at the Oval was finished and, and a new chapter was about to begin. A couple of interesting points was, you said at the very, very start when you were talking about, St- about Stephen, when he, when he phoned you and says, look, I want to sign you. And before I go on and, and talk about that, how important is that for a player to feel wanted by a manager? Yeah, bear in mind that I had just spoke to a manager who I felt that didn't want me um, anymore. <laughs> um, obviously, <laughs> I obviously felt you know that you know Paul and Miller were really keen to get me, and I felt wanted there. But um, as I say, you know, Stephen, he, he, he knew he just knew what to say. Um, he knew I was a wee bit tired of travelling, etc., and he knew my circumstances. You know, I just had a, started a young family and. And that and the distance of his traveling and he he just understood he agreed that we would uh, train one night a week um, again that was a choice of mine he gave me that a choice to whatever night it was a tuesday it was a thursday i wanted to come up and train but it was a trust and that that openness and that understanding of the move at the start that that really you know sold it to me um you know Again, that trust was putting me, I owed Stephen really to make sure I was looking after myself. And that because what he was giving me, the lead say that I felt that I couldn't let Stephen Baxter down. And, and I, I had to repay him every time I put on a Crusader shirt or every time I, I trained, uh, would have got there. Um, but, you know, Stephen's best quality was, was dealing with people and he sold the club to me. And, um, I'm so thankful for him because he's given me that the best experiences of my football career to date. So he has. That's a phenomenal statement, I think, to say about someone that's given you the best experience of your football career, especially a career like yours where you've won the Irish Cup, you've won the League Cup, you've won the League title. So I think that's really, really key and really, really interesting to hear that. Um, when you joined in the January then, Crusaders, I always call it, and I've, and I've talked to a few people on the podcast at that time period around at Crusaders, I felt it was very much like a building project towards going on and winning the league title. When you came in in January, was that the feeling that you sort of had, that this was building towards winning a league title, as you said, with Cliftonville on the way down and whatnot? Yeah, um, I remember that the night so well. I remember going up to the, it was the league cup final against Cliftonville that I went into the social club and Stephen announced me in front of all the fans and just straight away when I, that night I felt so welcomed. Um, I just felt there was something brewing. There was so, I felt there was that sense of something was about to happen. Um, then once I left the social club, I went down in the, the back room where the pool table is there. And it's gone now, obviously. And as soon as I went into that room, Sean O'Neill stood up in front of all the players. Now, bear in mind, I'm quite... I wouldn't be as forward as Shaw, <laughs> but he just stood up and he just said Richard Clark and he started to clap. And for me, everybody got up off their seat and started clapping. And for me, there's no what a welcome that was at me worrying about getting into a new changing room, a new environment. But I settled in so well, and it's because of those players uh, in that changing room and then at that time that made me settle in so well. I travelled up in the bus with the squad to the cup final again. It was just like it was there my whole career, really. You know, um, 
Obviously, the game didn't turn out the way we wanted to that night. They got beaten penalties, but as you say, it was just the start of something. Um, it was just it was the start of an era where Stephen was starting to bring a squad of players, but a squad of characters that, that perhaps needed to win. Um, and obviously, got into that new season, you know that we didn't know that we would be so, so successful, but that was the aim at the start of that year. Um, I think you know if you talk to a lot of the boys, we we had a real heart to heart meeting um, when we went to Lithuania. Um, we Stephen does this quite regularly when we go away in Europe. You know, we sit down and we outline the goals and expectations for the season. And me being a new player, um, we had a basically the question was, you know, why do you want to win a league title? Um, I remember this fondly as well. Um, Roy Coyle used to use this this thing about a need and a want. Do you want to win something or do you need to win it? And that that always stuck with me as a player um, because darn, I needed to win a league title before I finished because if I didn't, I would have classed it as a, as a failure such. Although I had won those other trophies, I feel that if I didn't win the league, that was the, the ultimate for me. That was the, the thing, that was what you needed to do to, to maybe, you know, to put yourself in a, in a, at a level where you're satisfied with, with what you've done. And I remember giving this speech to the, the players in, in Lithuania and, you know, the impact it had on people. And, and Stephen would still say to me to this day when we talk, you know, I remember that really well, that difference between wanting and needing. And I think we needed to win a league title as a group of players that year. And obviously with the, the real high of, of beating the Kranis in Lithuania uh, and going through that time. And as I say, the buzz was there. The players have been signed, you know, likes of Dermot O'Carroll came in, experience of winning something. You know, I had experience of winning cups and I won the mentality at a, at a club. And, and that all is important. And the characters you sign and, and not just what they bring as players, but what they bring uh, a personality as well. And, and Stephen, did that really well with the silence. So we did. That season as well, you mentioned Dermot O'Carroll came in and Sean O'Neill put it on the podcast whenever he was talking. It was such, he says a lot of the fans go to the Billy Joe Burns signing and rightfully so because he was such a good right back and probably the best in the league. But Dermot O'Carroll as well, got 16 to 18 goals, something around that that season. A phenomenal return for, not only was it good for us just signing Dermot O'Carroll for his goal return, we had weakened a direct rival to the title by taking Dermot O'Carroll, as we did with, with Billy Joe Burns. Also that season, the emergence of Gavin White. And you've talked about the different characters in the changing room and everything like that. What was that camaraderie like all the way through that season as you were gearing up to needing to win that league title, as you put it? Yeah, just, just to touch on Dermot, you know, I think his qualities were, were clear to be seen as a player, but... I think anybody you talk to and who knows Jeremy McCarroll, you know, the human qualities that he has, you know, I think Jeremy, Jeremy knew really that, that Jordan was the, the number one striker, but Dermot being Dermot, he, he knew it. But when he came into the team, he took his chance. And when he was out of the team, he was the first player over to, you know, backing you and, and looking you to do well. And that, that was a, an ethos and a, it was something ingrained in my time at Crusaders, even my own experience, you know, being out of the team, you weren't happy about being out of the team, but you wanted your mate to do well. And Darren, I'll be honest with you, that never really happened at, you know, some of the clubs. It was a cutthroat, perhaps, at clubs that 
perhaps you want to see the player in your position not do so well that day or even the team to lose to get yourself back in the team again because that's the type of environment you're in. But the Crusaders have never felt like that. Um, you know, we started off that seat, that campaign, you know, we were winning games, we were drawing games, we were losing games. We perhaps didn't really show uh, any pedigree as, as to suggest that we we're going to be league title challengers. Um, but um, I think there were three games stand out for me in, in that campaign. Um, obviously, the Boxing Day game at Solitude, where um, we Gavin scored, and was Gavin, wasn't it? This is a call. Um, he had scored, and you know, it was a big result for us because we had then Linfield on New Year's Day, and then we beat them 2 1 on New Year's Day. Those are two big results over Christmas, um, over the Christmas period. Uh, and the other result um, that really stands out for me, and I think it was the game that really made a statement in my eyes, and maybe. I think a lot of the supporters will agree and the players will agree with us. It was speaking for it out, 6-0 at, uh, at Seaview. I think it doesn't matter who we played that night, we were just going, we, were, we just, we had a Stephen Baxter, obviously, you got the day of the Tiger as such, we were ruthless. Um, I know they went down to 10 men, but, you know, it could have been any score that night because we were just so determined and so focused. And at that stage, you know, we had built the momentum um, and we actually did the teams, but Linfield probably did, and you know, in the season they pipped us for the, the three in a row. Um, they just we just went on a run and we were unbeatable. Um, we were beating teams in the first 20 minutes of games, we were two or three up at home, and we were just relentless. I think the word was relentless. Um, I, just, I always recall, you know, I talk about Dermot and Carl, uh, I always talk about Timmy Adamson as well. Fondly, again, Timmy found himself in and out of the team, but. You know, talk to the players, they'll tell you, Timmy looked you straight in the eye, he was sub, he says, I need it out of you today, I need it out of you. And that sort of motivation going out from a player who's just been told, look, you're not playing today, you're on the bench, that togetherness, that atmosphere in the dressing room was just unbelievable. And you can't win the league title without everybody pulling together. And that was one of the main reasons why we won that league that year so convincingly. I actually remember, see the Boxing Day game? To my shame, actually, it was quite funny. Um, Ted Bell was sitting right behind me and he put his hands on his shoulders. He said, son, what do you think for the day? I said, Ted, I'll take a draw. I'll take a draw now. They're, they're a good side. He says, so we'll we'll beat these boys today. Trust me, we'll beat these boys today. And he was right that we did. Yeah. And he, like, anytime I see him, like, he'd remind me. He says, remember the time you didn't think we could win at Boxing Day? <laughs> it always, he always brings that up. Like, but the Porter Down game I thought was key. And as, as you rightly said, yes, they went down to 10 men, but we were 3 0 up already at, at yeah. that stage. And one of the standouts from that game, and it's someone that I wish that we got to see more of, just wasn't at the club that long and, in, and injuries didn't help. But Barry Malloy sat in behind yourself and Decky that night. And um, what was that? What was he like to play with, particularly that night? Because I that night, our centre midfield just gave an exhibition of a centre midfield performance. Yeah, I think if you look at the three of us, perhaps, you know, the three of us really complement each other really well. Um, obviously, with Barry coming in and Declan beside me, just totally takes away that physical aspect. And, and he looked after me as such and allowed me to do my thing. And I think the thing for us is, you know, because we were so much on the attacking front and put teams in the back foot, um, all, anything the ball that was cleared out, 
really fell to me and I could recycle play and, and get things going again. It wasn't spectacular, but, you know, I felt as if um, it was doing a really important job for the team. And we, we all look back at that game and like, I played against Michael Galt, against Linfield, and I can't recall many times that I ever got one over on Galt in the sense of, you know, I've outplayed him or, you know, physically he's been poor or, or anything like that. But I think having Barry Malloy beside us that night really, really um, stood out. You know, he, he manhandled Michael Galt that night, never really let him get his influence in the game to break up play or or really be dominant in that area. And I remember Robert Garrett was playing that night as well, another combative midfielder. And the football we played that night and the dominance we showed, you know, um, it's definitely one of the best performances I can remember as an individual performer for myself and also it's probably one of the best individual team performances that I've ever played in um, for a club team you know unfortunately Barry had he had much luck with injuries and perhaps the pitch didn't really help him um, it's a bit like I'm trying to think you know the comparisons you know, you, you think about Bastian Schweinsteiger come to United the likes of Lauren Blanc come to United we perhaps got him, got, got him at the, the wrong time. And if we had a few more years out of Barry Malloy, then I, I think, you know, that would be, wouldn't be unbelievable. But, you know, he was just, just a great guy and such, you know, again, a winning mentality and a real good personality and a real good person. And as I say, we were, a, I look back on it now, we were a, a team of men who knew where they were going, who knew what we wanted to achieve. And there was nobody that year was getting in our way once we got up ahead of steam. And that feeling, that sense of nobody's going to beat you is, is unbelievable. Likewise, you also know what it's like to go on an illusion run. That momentum is everything in a league title. And I always say the team that gets out in front and, and puts their nose in front is going to be the team hard to stop. And although we, we lost to get sported down, uh, it was Easter Tuesday, I think we lost to Porter down. Paul yeah, Heaton decided right. to go and get Mar- he decided to go and get married on a Tuesday during the football season <laughs> on Herdoff. Um and I think we did suffer that night because we knew Paul Hickley wasn't playing. You know, it's just that impact on the team. Paul was the go-to if we were in a, in a tight spot, he would always pull you out with a spectacular goal. And and I remember that Easter Tuesday so so well. I remember being off work um, from teaching and we down the next the next day. We down to the play park with the kids, and I could think about nothing else but that defeat. And there was a sense of doubt that did uh, come in because we were going to Solitude then that Saturday. We were six points clear, I think, at that stage. And Linfield were going to play Glenavon on the Saturday. I felt that what happens if Clifford beat us and Linfield won us down to three. But then Paul came back, and Paul, being Paul's quirky wee self, he says, "Lads, don't worry, I'll make up for it." And, and so we did score, <laughs> score the winner uh, and we knew that day we could hear the you know we you knew that's just Irish League for you and, and any football general and the fans are cheering we knew nothing we were behind and we were hanging on I think towards the end but we knew there was no way Cliff Moore scored that day we knew that was the day we were going to win the league and, and what what a feeling that was um, it was just unbelievable yeah it really was and I always look at that Portadown game in February as well as the one that really went, okay, we're going to win this league. And I think the important thing about the, those Portadown fixtures as well, and we kind of always forget um, when we talk about this season, that Portadown actually beat us three times that year. Um, we talk about, you know, Galt and Garrett and how good they were and phenomenal, phenomenal players. Michael Galt, 
scored, played a blinder when they beat us just before Christmas. But Portadown was in the middle of that run. I think, if memory serves me, it was 13 games winning in a row, including going down to Mournview and winning by seven. You know, it was it was crazy, crazy, crazy season. But I'm sure in your career, looking back, it, it has to be one of the most fondest memories, I suppose. It definitely is. I think I think it's a nature of the scoreline and, and the performance uh, that we put on that night. Um, I, I referred to them going down to 10 men, but as you see, we're already 3-0 up. Um, and the run that Portadown were on, the team that they had as well, they were, there was quality there. Mark McAllister was up front for them. Um, all experienced players, all players that, that won league titles. Um, I think Dougal was the man sent off. Um, that night, Murray, um, you know, so it was it was just, it was the quality of the Portadown team and how we made them look very ordinary and, and how we dominated the game from start to finish. And I think definitely there was that, that sense of belief from that night on that, you know, this is happening. This is not going to, this is not going to pass us by. And it would have been such a shame that season if it did. And thankfully, we, we uh, put the, the league to bed with a few games to, to go albeit Linfield needed to score 20 plus goals to, to beat us that day, but we knew that day at Solitude that the, the league had, was wrapped up. Absolutely. And what a better, is there a better place for Crusaders to win a league title than at Solitude? And we got lucky enough or say fortunate enough rather than lucky to do it two years in a row. <laughs> I think that's um, something that has to be highlighted anytime you have a chance to sort of rub Cliftonville's nose in it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think as, as players, you know, we all respected the quality that Clintonville had and, and those teams that won the league, the, the players and the way they did it, the style they did it. And, you know, with the manager, Tommy Breslin, God rest him, he was a gentleman. Um, you know, it was nice to, to, to do it there and maybe also pick up the mantle of the team that's going to maybe perhaps dominate over the next few years. Um, Clintonville were always were starting to, to be in the way down. There was demise there and they do it at solitude. And for me personally, for some of the players that was perhaps laughing at me during the cup final and Irish cup final, it was that sense of satisfaction. I was never one to, to give verbals or, or talk back to players, but to me, you know, winning that league title was, was enough for me. That was to, to justify, you know, why, who's the one laughing now? Such a, it was me really inside, you know? Uh, so it was a great, great experience. Um, when I look back on it, I remember myself and Craig McLean. We were two grown men lying in the centre circle at Solitude. Literally, we were squeezing each other that tight because it was our first league title. Um, you know, Craig had been to Balamina, he'd been Dungannon, he'd been through the journey of that. Perhaps all he'd done it the hard way, where he went to clubs and played, but never really achieved any success. But as I say, you know, my decision not to go to Ballon Mallard, it was such a fine line for me to be lying there in the middle of solitude, a league, a league winner, you know, it made it so, so sweet. And um, as I say, I think we all remember that Stephen up on the fence and nearly taking the fingers off himself. He, he got a wee bit too excited, but um, I think that was the coming of the age of that team. Um, so it was, I think the only disappointment that season was maybe taking a ball, right off the ball in the Irish Cup against Lentorn because I feel that we were good enough to win a double, but I think there's no doubt the league distracted us that year and that was our ultimate goal. And, and uh, I'm glad that we, we actually got over the line rather than letting it go to the last few games of the season. 
think it's easy in hindsight to look back and see the quality of the team and say could have done a double or whatever. But I think at the time you're so fixated on that league title um, and winning that league title. And something that happened after winning the league title, and I was told to ask ask you this by your friend, Mr. Sean O'Neill. Um, there was a very famous trip to Portugal. And what's your memories of the of the team trip to Portugal? <laughs> Darren, before we start, I've signed a disclosure. So I have, so <laughs> I don't know if I can give too much detail away here, but uh, you can imagine what it'd be like going to Portugal with the likes of Sean O'Neill and Declan Cadell, two boys who were on the bender for about two weeks they went missing. Um, so obviously the club were so grateful to us and the as part of our bonus as such, you had the choice to take the, the money or you could, they were, they were willing to pay for us to go on a holiday. Some boys took the money, um, I think maybe a lot of them were on the thumb. I don't think they were allowed to go, some of them. But thankfully, I took the holiday. So you can imagine, you can, I'm setting the scene here. Um, I don't drink. I'm going away on a holiday with the Crusaders boys, Sean and Ail, Deck and Canel. But mad. So obviously, I had to think very carefully who I was going to room with when I was away as well. I ended up with Jack. Uh, Duffin, I don't know how I ended up with Jack, but I was there. Uh, you thought I would have, would have went steady with Craig McLean, but at that stage, Craig and, and Timmy always roomed together. So they did, so they were there as well. But uh, I was quite worried, there's no doubt about that. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised actually when, when we got there because all we did was just we chilled together by the pool all day and just chilled out and had a bit of crack, but a ping pong, played pool or whatever. But we, we partied hard all night. Um, just, you had to be very careful, Darren, of where you set your flip-flops, um, just things like <laughs> that, because, you know, it didn't matter if you had a pair of Tommy Hilfiger or, or Ralph Lauren uh, <laughs> flip-flops on. They just disappeared. They were just cleared out of the fence of the pool or they were even thrown out of your window at night. I know Paul Hinkley had a lovely pair of sandals with him. And we were all sitting in one of the rooms one night. And obviously, he must have just took them off for, I don't know what reason, maybe his feet were sweaty or whatever. And the next thing I could see, the, the flip-flop and the sandals, they just disappeared out through the window. Decky had just took it upon himself that these sandals needed to go. And to be fair, Heats' fashion was, was terrible anyway, so nobody really <laughs> bat an eyelid at it. Uh, but I don't think Heats' payback uh, can be talked about on, on a, a podcast. So I can't, um, <laughs> I don't think it's too too clean, but um, it was quite funny in, in relation to uh, how we seen it. Maybe you had to be there, just one of those ones. Um, obviously as well, you know, we partied, we did party all most of the time and uh, we had a real good night. And the way, the way I looked about it was we were like a group of mates throwing away on holidays um, and it just epitomised what we were all about at that time. We were a group of fellas who, who loved playing football with each other, but we also loved each other's company. And it was just it was just a lovely feeling going away and having a relaxed time. Um say just a group of mates who looked out for each other. And you know, we went two years in a row um back to Portugal. It was that good the first time we decided to go back the second time and uh I just actually got into a room with Jordan Forsyth and Craig McLean the next time. So two, two very civil, two very uh, 
people that you could depend on and your bed would be upside down or anything like that when you get back or one coming in and waking you. You just don't know with Sean and Decky. It was just unpredictable. But uh, the experiences we had in Portugal was, was unbelievable. And I think, as I say, that was very you know much part of my time at Crusaders. I really look back at those trips fondly. And you know yourself, you go away with the lads, it's, it's, it's good crack and you've, nobody knows you. And you're just there for a good time. And we were at the top of the world, so we were. And I just really emphasised the, the togetherness um, that we had as a group. That, you know, we just went away and really had a good time and just let football go. And we came back regenerated and, and ready to go again. Um, but I know what Sean's talking about. And I actually texted him today to see if I could talk about it tonight. But uh, let's just say Sean had a bladder problem and he had to go very quickly and, and couldn't find a toilet. So you can, you can read between the lines there, but we found it quite funny. Um, and it was just Sean. I don't think many other people would have found it funny, but we loved them. And it was just Sean O'Neill being Sean O'Neill and what a character and um, what a guy and the influence and that he had in that changing room was, was phenomenal. And uh, he knows that. And he was very much a driving force behind that togetherness that we had in our dressing room. I think that's key for any successful side and of course there's things we can't say on a podcast but I'm sure you have the memories and there'll be stuff floating about in WhatsApp groups and whatever from from time to time but you came back from Portugal regenerated ready to go and went into another pre-season another season that we won the league the the, the defense that year only conceded 18 goals a phenomenal achievement talked about that second season and retaining the league title because the target was now on you as a Crusaders player. The you Crusaders were the bullseye, were the cup final for every team that season. Tell me about that second season and retaining that league title. Yeah, I think obviously we, we had kept all the players, that crop of players had stayed. And, you know, like any team to be remembered as a real good team, you know, you, you have to win back-to-back titles. And that was the benchmark that we set. And, Again, we went away in Europe and, and we talked about that, um, about how important it was to retain it, what we did well that season and, and the things that we wanted to continue and what we wanted to improve on. Um, and that was important. Again, you know, I look back, uh, the signings that Stephen made, we signed Mark Michael Carvel that summer. Again, a player coming from Linfield, a player coming with experience, you know, with a mentality. Most of all, uh, another good guy in our changing room who, who knew what it meant, but also, as I keep talking to you about, is that character and that personality that he had. Uh, we had signed, you know, Andrew Mitchell, who was coming back from, from Rangers at that time. Again, Mitch could have played it right back. He could have played midfield, and he did. And he was a first-time player. And, and that really gave us a bit of flexibility if anything happened to, to BJ. So we, we started really to build a, a stronger squad as that, you know, a, a, if a player perhaps was was injured, then we had somebody well and able to come in and replace him um, with that. And I think you need that going forward, uh, especially if you want to challenge in all competitions. Um, we signed Jordan Forsyth as well that summer. Um, I'll just tell you a story about Jordan. He's somebody who I admire so much. And I remember him coming down to do pre-season with us at Glentor at the time. He, he was at Lisbon Distillery. He was invited down. Eddie Patterson had invited him down and I could see then the potential they had, but the Jordan didn't sign him at that stage. You, you know, 
just it just shows you the type of player and person he is. He went away and he worked hard this game. He went to Bangor and he was such a hit with them. And he replied in a, in a, in a way that, you know, at the Fiji, Yeller go to Glentor and you don't get a contract and go, well, that's it. But he he rose above it and he he, he done well at Bangor to say Stephen signed him. Again, he's a player who currently has no real fixed position for Crusaders. You know, he plays anywhere. He originally signed as a left-sided midfield player because he was so good in those positions. And now, ultimately, you know, he's playing right back. But again, what a, what a signing. Somebody, all those players had a point to prove. Michael was leaving Linfield. He was let go. Mitch was coming back home from Rangers. And Jordan was hungry to win things. And, and Skimmer was coming back from Korean on loan. And, you know, he really made his mark in probably the, the second half of the season, to, to, to perhaps my detriment. But um, as I say, you know, we had strengthened really well. And again, you know, we got going and and we just felt that if we had the age over Linfield, that was the benchmark. I think if you look back at our title success over those two years and even the the title that uh, Crusaders beat Linfield again after the third one, that the games against Linfield are the one that perhaps defined you. Um, and if you get ahead of Linfield, then you have a chance. And we did that that season again. And you know, we carried the mantle well. I think we drew really well on our experiences from the first season. Uh, and as I say, you know, we won that second league title again. And thankfully, again, you know, we we done it at Solitude for the second year in a row. Um, we were a really comprehensive win that night. And, and again, I remember we all headed back to the, the club again. And it was just that overwhelming feeling of winning another title. Um, you know, celebrating together with pizzas, some boys with beers or whatever. It was a Tuesday night. Uh, but what a feeling again and to, to do it back to back was just a big achievement and you know Stephen would always talk about his time at Linfield and won the league titles at Linfield but one thing he did you know, instill in us very early was you know how much you would be uh, worshipped as such or how special it is in comparison for him won the league title for the Crusaders as a player comparing to Linfield and to do it for Crusaders was special and uh, I do look back at those words now and, and realise how true those words were because to do it with a club like Crusaders who, let's be honest, don't have a big fan base in relation to the other Belfast clubs, it was definitely special and, and it's an achievement winning back-to-back titles that we are proud of and, and it's there in the record books. And um, As I say, we, we blew the third year, but um, I think Linfield, as I say, did to us what we did to them in the, in the first year we won the, the league. The third year, I think, was was hard to take because of the sort of standard, perhaps, if I can use if I can use that word, and maybe the standard Crusaders and the squad had set for themselves over the previous two seasons, and then by almost the way we started the third season, you know, six 0 win against Balamina, Michael Galt to join you more, you know, leadership and experience being brought into the squad, and then ultimately just to fall away a little bit at the end. Um, and one of the players that you've we've we haven't talked about yet huge character in Crusaders history. Um, Colin Coates missed a lot of that season with injury. What was Coatesy like to play with as a captain and how big an influence was it that he was missing maybe quite a lot, especially towards the business end of that third season? Yeah, I think, I remember, you know, we we, we lost Colin through injury and uh, I think it was, a, it was down to a few factors. It was the fact that Linfield now started to put pressure on us. And ultimately, the pressure perhaps 
got that pressure of them breathing down your neck got to us a wee bit coincided with Colin's injury I think we were we were trying everybody at centre half obviously Michael Galton moved back in there uh, we had to play the likes of Alan Keane who, who was same productive as a, a fullback and he was playing centre half and the Irish League perhaps you need your centre halves to be dominant and to be strong and, and we perhaps didn't have that towards the end of that season and ultimately injuries and, and I do say I think you have to give credit to Linfield as well because they were chasing us and they put us under massive pressure. And I think they got 49 points out of a possible 51, I think it was. So, you know, ultimately we threw it away. Um, but again, I think Linfield deserved to win it as well because of the run that they were on. Um, with regards to Coetzee, for me, he was a midfielder's dream. Um, you know, I don't think Coetzee would say that he was a very vocal or a verbal captain. But I think it was a case where he was an 8 or 9 out of 10 every week. Um, he would come and he would head balls 50 yards. He would, you know, he was first there to back you up in a 50-50. And he was a Crusaders man. And he again, he came through the ranks of Crusaders. And I think Coach had won everything apart from a league title. So combine that with, you know, what if I've said before that like, you know, what we needed to do as a group of players, you know, he was massive, massive influence on, on everybody through his performances and, and just, he was just colossal back there. And I think it probably would be remiss of me not to give the likes of Mags, you know, the credit, Josh Robinson credit, Paul Lehman, the credits, you know, Craig McLean, that the back four or the back five, if you want to call it, and those players who come in when suspensions and injuries kicked in, you know, we we had quality all around the pitch, and it was like for like replacements. And you know, I think Colin would be first to say that if he was asked about you know his performances that that he had good partnerships. Um, you know, the likes of Paul Lehman, the experience he had at at Glentor and the winner the talent that he had, and Mags was always reliable. Josh was phenomenal. Um, he really is. I think perhaps Crusaders haven't really. Replaced him as such. I know the story behind Josh and how things have, have happened over the past years, but there's undoubted quality there that you know he's a top centre half. But uh, but going back to you know what Colin achieved for the, the club is, is unbelievable, and it was a real joy, a real pleasure to play with him. Yeah, phenomenal player, phenomenal captain. Obviously, one of the biggest legends in Crusaders history, and I don't think that's you know any overstatement or anything like that. You know, just. Phenomenal footballer. You're, yourself then, you, you you ended up leaving Crusaders, but not before another league title win. Tell me about that that sort of season, Brian Jensen coming in, the differences maybe between that season and the previous two league title wins. Um, you know, I think that third season, for me personally, um, I felt I didn't play enough. Um, that third season and as I say as a player you, you tend to ask them the questions of yourself right where do I want to go as a player am I getting enough game time um, I was I just I think it was to be 31 at this stage and you know, I achieved what I wanted to achieve and I didn't want to be that player that, that stayed about and just wanted to be a squad player or, or stay on the bench and, and come on down again and, um, and I felt for me personally that um, Perhaps that I knew I made the decision probably pretty much near towards the end of that season that 
it might be a stage of hopefully he'll win a third title and, and maybe move on. But uh, it was tough. Um, there's no doubt about that. The decision, the hindsight to look back on now, I think maybe perhaps a left maybe too soon um, because I still had that love feeling for the club and that, that affection. And I still knew I had more to give, but I just felt perhaps that my uh, chances of playing were, were limited uh, at that time. And, you know, as I say, football moves on and evolves. You know, when you look at the players of left crusaders, even call himself, Craig has moved on. You know, he's retired now. Um, it's just a way, it's just a fact of life. And um, the, the party really had came to an end for me. And um, I'd spoke to Stephen and he had said that he wanted me to stay. And I was, I was, I was really, really turning my head and I didn't know what to do. And ultimately I made the decision then that I felt that I needed to move on. And obviously Balnamar were at that stage, were still in the premiership. And I felt that I wasn't never leaving Crusaders to go anywhere else other than Balna Mallard. Um, I had a few offers from, from other clubs, but for me, the, the only offer that I was really interested in was Balna Mallard. And that was purely just to, to get back playing again and purely because of my circumstances at home and the travel. And I got to a stage where, you know, an extended family, um, the demands with my job and work and that were a bit more rigorous as such. Um, and I needed to spend a bit more time at home and, I made that move that summer. Um, it was difficult um, to do, but on a on a personal note, um, it was the right thing for me at that time. As I say, perhaps looking back on it now, I probably made it maybe a year too soon, um, but I don't regret it. Um, I'm now um, in the before season, really. Well, if you want to include the, the this season this year with Balna Mallard. Um, and I think it was a vindication too that when I signed for Crusaders, I'd give Val Miller my word that I would save them at that stage. And I felt that I'd let them down and I'd let myself down because my word is normally 100%. So I felt that it was the right time to, to pay that back. And as I say, I was never interested in any other club. And um, I left with a heavy heart, but I left, I left the club, you know, as a, as a supporter as well and somebody who, who who loves the club and who loves going back when they can and really you know and really really take it bad when the, when the team now maybe isn't going so well and you know it hurts me as well and to me that shows me now that how much crusaders give me and how much i care still about about it and i just love getting back whenever i can you know absolutely obviously for yourself now you're at the mallard and you're the captain down there at the mallard but when you're looking at Crusaders, you see where they are now in the hard season that we're that we or Crusaders are having this this season. Looking in from the outside, what would you say to supporters? Just relax, trust the manager. What 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 do you think looking at where Crusaders are now? Have you have any maybe opinion as a supporter on on the club? Like I think it's hard, you know, because I've still a lot of you know, I've got a lot of affiliation to you know, the likes of Sean and Decky and those guys and Big Jordan and the Heats and that are all there still and it's difficult I think you know I think perhaps Crusaders though the expectation now that, that is there is probably their own doing as such because of the success that they've had in the past and you know with success comes expectation and the fans obviously want to see now a return for obviously they've moved into the, the full-time element of things, but 
I think it's important to understand that football is never, you know, straightforward as well. And there, you can, I can clearly see that you know the boys are lacking in, in confidence. And I've been through so many uh, spells like that in my career as well. And it's a rut. I keep saying it. You know, a winning momentum is very much like a, a losing momentum. It's so hard to 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 overturn that. Just like when you're on a winning uh, streak, you feel as if you're going to win every game. So it's really important for them, I think, now to, to really start putting in what I would call crusaders performances and try and just to get that that next win. Um, I do believe that they probably will where they have a point yesterday at, at Glentorn. But as I say, you know, the club now are in seventh position. But I think it's important to remember, yes, we have to realise that, uh, you know, the success that, that Stephen has brought. And it's important that the fans remember that and, and the, the crews... The crews for me were always a, a real a working class team and, and that ethos about them and that togetherness about them. And they never had that, you know, fans getting on, on the players' back mentality, which which is, is which happens at the other clubs. And I would I would, you know, try and and get them to support the team, get behind the team because that's invaluable because it's very easy to support a team when they're winning, but it's very difficult, you know, to they stay on side and although they're frustrated and they want to see them win the football games, but the players really need them on side. And I know you're, I'm, and I'm saying this as well, that the players need to start, they, they all know this, you know, as a group of players, they need to start showing the qualities that they have as well. Um, but as I say, it's important to stay patient and there's still a lot to play for in relation to the Irish Cup and, and hopefully the, the, the European playoffs that, that are coming now in June as well. Yeah, 100%. There's still games to be played. There's still competitions to be played and playoffs and everything else. So, I mean, this is a long way from the season being over. But one thing I like to remember when you look back from 2009-10 and winning that Irish Cup onwards, Crusaders have been involved in either a final, a league title campaign or winning trophies every season. And that, that's, a, I think, a phenomenal achievement for the way, as, as you've correctly put it, you know, working class club that probably isn't the same as some of the other big sides around Belfast. But to come back to sort of your career in Balna Mallard, you finally went down and signed for Balna Mallard. You gave them your word a couple of years back. You've you've honored your word. You're down there now. You're the captain of the club. What what are you do you do anything different as a captain than as you would just a um perhaps just another player? Yeah, um obviously we got relegated um that season I had joined and then James McKenna had retired. He was the captain of the club. And at that stage I'd felt it was perhaps going to move on again. Uh, Paul Lehman had come in to Glentorn with Gary Smith. Uh, and we discussed perhaps a move there and I spoke to the Institute as well. But Harry McCulkey was uh, staying on as manager and he wanted me to stay and he did say that you know that I want you if you to stay I want you to be my captain and and I sort of I think that was perhaps the uh, the deal breaker as such you know I looked at it at this stage right I think my pride was was a wee bit hurt as well Darren if I'm being honest you know I played my whole career mainly in the Premiership and to go down to the Championship it was a wee bit hard to take but um, I felt at that stage right you know it's time to take stock here. It's time to perhaps, you know, I've been one of the players that has taken the club down to the championship. So let's be one of the players that put it right and, and try and bring them back up again. And that's still my motivation at the minute. And as captain, I think, you know, I took it on the responsibility that, you know, 
I want to put in place or you know, be that leading shoulder for the younger players that the likes of Paul Lehman was for me. Um, the likes of Micah Holidays were, was for me. Um, you know, just be a good influence on those players around you because I do feel the responsibility that, that it's up to me to drag these boys with me and to really drag them to a place where we really want to be again. Um, and that's back up in the Premiership because I think anybody that comes to Fairley Park admires the pitch me being a player there, it's just one of those small things that that, that uh, you can see. You know, with good training facilities, with a good manager, uh, with a great committee, with a great uh, sense of connection with the fans as Ballon Miller players and the community itself. Um, you know, it's all there. Um, as I say again, a bit like Crusaders, there's that connection between players and fans. Um, so there is, and that's what makes it special. Um, but for me as a captain, you know, Harry McConkie is quite demanding, and I was forced to call uh, on things and discussions about things, things that perhaps you, you wouldn't be as a, as a player that you get brought into. And I, I like that responsibility, and, and I'm learning all the time. And I'm always, as a captain, you know, I want to lead by example. And again, but like Coach say, I'm not really verbal or vocal. Um, I try to lead by example and, and as a captain I have to remember that we have a young squad so it's important that my my feedback to them and is, is constructive and it's helpful and it's not uh, something I responded to when I was a player somebody shouting and bawling and roaring at you but never give you an instruction but somebody that that you didn't understand I try and be complimentary but try to be constructive as well and we have a thing at Ballinamalar where at halftime, Harry and the coaching staff don't really come in to the dressing room for the first five or six minutes or so. They just let the players discuss what's going on. And, and obviously, I, I, I'm leading that. And you know, he trusts me with that responsibility. And, and he knows that, that the other senior players in the team as well will, that, uh, will iron these things out. And, and he gets that sense of feeling from us, first of all, how we feel. And then he picks up, you know. So again, there's a grit. Good understanding and being captain is one that uh, I'm so proud of and, and to lead a team uh, with such great people around it. Uh, I always feel that my motivation to keep playing and the motivation to keep winning is for them and, and to try and put a wrong right as such because we did have a terrible season that year we were relegated and um, I remember that last day at the Oval um, when we got relegated, the fans were clapping us off the pitch now, I think you and I know um, there's not too many fans who clap a team off the pitch who's just been relegated. So that just tells you the type of supporters and the type of people we have at, at our club at the moment. And as I say, that's the inner drive and the inner motivation for me and, and the players as well. Those fans and that community spirit that you have down at Balmain, and you touched on it there, how big a factor was that in terms of the Irish Cup final run? Because that was a phenomenal run to the final the week leading up to the final. And tell me your experience, because as fate would have it, it would be against Crusaders. Just pure, the irony of the whole thing. Tell me about that Irish Cup run and that experience. I remember the, that season where we had just been relegated, obviously. And, you know, with a real bad start in the league. And I think if you remember, there was a good, there was, we were bottom of the league for a long time in the championship. And there was that fear of, uh, you know, a, relega a back to back relegation. 
I remember I, I was injured for the first 10 games and turned my ankle against Anna in a pre-season friendly. And sitting there watching the games, it was so frustrating for me uh, because I just thought, right, we need to get back here straight away. But as I say, you know, we got a bit of momentum going in the league again, a wee bit of form, and we drew PSNA in the cup the first round, and we won that quite convincingly. And then we did turn around straight away against Carrick, so we beat them. And then it was Dungannon in the next round. Uh, I just thought perhaps Dungannon was maybe a step too far, but we settled really well, and again, the game went to penalties, and we, John Conley saved the penalty, and we went through. At this stage, you're starting to believe a wee bit. Uh, we get into the dressing room. Because our game had went the extra time and penalties, the semi-final draw had already been made. And our chairman came in and just said, look, boys, we've got Warren Point in the semi-final. Now, obviously, Warren Point were the premiership team, and the game, we were going to that game as underdogs. But uh, the other semi-final was Coleraine and Crusaders. And I just... Just something I just knew was fate. I just like the Warren Point game, um, the preparation we put in for that Warren Point game, I think it's fair to say in a way that was our cup final as such because we knew if we beat Warren Point, we were in a year's cup final. Um, if it would be difficult if we had drew the likes of Coleraine and Crusaders in the semi-final. But I remember the game well. You know, we really were really good sec first half. Warren Point were a very good second half and no team really tried to win it in extra time. And again, we were down that lottery of penalties. Um, I remember in the build-up that week, um, we were talking about penalty shootouts and um, I know Warren Point, their manager at the time, McDonnell, he was he was quite studious in the game and he, he looked at everything. And uh, we had a guy who, who was down coaching, had a bit of insight at Warren Point and he was saying the keeper you know, has been watching the penalty shootouts that you've had and uh, I thought to myself I always went the same side and I spoke to the coaching staff and they said well what do you want to do he basically said you know at that stage you know, stick to what you know and put it there and obviously I was up first and with all my experience and with all the games that I've played in and all the big moments that I've played in <laughs> I can honestly tell you darn that that was the, the most pressure I've ever felt as a player at walk <laughs> That walk to the penalty spot, I think I had the doubt too that the keeper perhaps knew where it was going. And he did dive the right side. And thankfully, I hit it uh, in the bottom corner. And I think if you look back, there's some of the clips, the relief in my face. But I just knew the importance of it. I knew the importance of Balna Ballard getting to an Irish Cup final was, was fairy tale stuff. And then thankfully, again, John Conley's got me a save. Um, Rocket. Ryan Campbell, he he the last penalty, and he always tells me in training that he penalties. No, we're never like it. So I'm going here. We go last penalty. He needs to score, and I just couldn't watch. But the sheer emotion and sheer you know sense of satisfaction because uh, bear in mind I'm in mid thirties, left the cruise, just been relegated, thinking those days were were gone. And for me, getting to an Irish Cup final at that stage, captain the team, and doing it for a club that means so much to me now, uh, it was just such a special time. And, you know, as I say, I think it was a big ass beating Crusaders in, in, the, in the final. And the, I remember watching the game in the Glenavon Clubhouse. We played our semi-final at Moorview. And I remember watching the game. 
deep down, if I was being selfish, I probably wanted Korea to win because I thought we made it a better chance. But I knew in my head that I wanted to be Crusaders to go through because again, it was that supporter, that fan, that that connection to the club that no matter what way I looked at it, I just wanted to be Crusaders. And then when they did get to the final, I looked at it in a way that I couldn't lose if I won. I was going to be ecstatic and we left the trophy, but I knew if we lost, then Crusaders were going to win it. So uh, I was in a, in a way, I was in a win-win, but if I was being selfish, I would love to have lifted the trophy as a captain and, and that, but it was a special day and just, you know, greeting the likes of Charlie and Sean and Decky and Heats and Chicken and those boys on the pitch, you know, it was, it was surreal, but uh, the say Crusaders ran out where they were in the day, but for an experience, it was just unbelievable and, Again, it justifies for me the reason why I went to Baltimore in the first place. They, they still have ambition, you know, they still motivation to improve. And, and as a player, I still got that hunger and they can give it to me. And certainly, obviously, this season didn't happen with COVID and everything alongside that. And that's a completely different topic. And it's frustrating. And obviously, you're getting back into it, you're training again, or you're going to be training pretty soon and getting back into it. And hopefully, next season of having a really good season with Balna Mallard. And I think you're probably looking forward to that and chopping at the bit to get back on the football pitch and play competitive football again after after what's been a very, very hard year. Um, But Richard, at this point in the podcast, I want to do some, I call them finisher Q&As. So I have a bit of a laugh with you here. And the first question that I've got um, lined up for you is, do you have a favourite ground that you like playing at? Um, When I... I mean, Uri days, it was always uh, uh, Dungannon. Always a good record at Dungannon and, and score goals there. And always a good games at Dungannon. Um, but I would, I would have to say Windsor Park because it's just National Stadium and you really feel like a player when you're going to Windsor Park, you know, especially when it's been re, re, uh, renovated and stuff like that. It's just a, it's a wonderful stadium. And, you know, again, good memories of Windsor, some bad memories, but just... To go to the National Stadium and play a match is, is great. And, you know, as a player, you can never, ever take that for granted because you just don't know when to last. Yeah, 100%. I think anyone would love a game at Windsor Park just to say they've played in the National Stadium. But to do it in, a, to do it in an Irish Cup final, the, the win an Irish Cup final at Windsor as well. They've beaten them field various times across your career at Windsor. Um, I can only imagine how good it is, you know, being there as a supporter when we've beat Linfield. <laughs> it's yeah. always good, but as a player, I can only imagine what it was like winning an Irish Cup there. Um, worst teammate to sit beside on the bus in your in your career? It doesn't have to be Balnamal, it could be anywhere. I think I never really went on a bus anywhere, Darren, because I was always driving and travelling as such <laughs> two games because I was living in Castle Derg and and for me to go and get a bus in Belfast was quite difficult. Um, I think there's no one in particular, but I think the card schools going on the European trips, you know, if you didn't know what you were doing, they could have been the wrong seat. You could have lost a lot of money. But uh, since I joined Ballon Millard, we, we travel a lot in the bus and we do a pre-match a lot. And I would have to say, it's not a player, it would have to be Harry, our manager. He, I tend to try and get myself in the seat and get focused, but he tends to gravitate towards me uh, on the bus. And it's a full conversation then from, from Ballygolly to the Belfast. And he, he means well, but Harry's just so busy and he's trying to <laughs> embroil so much information to you, uh, as I say. But I think 
it would have to be Harry McConkey. Not the answer you probably perhaps you're looking for as a player, but uh, he was de- he'd be definitely somebody you want to avoid in a bus journey that you want a wee bit of peace and quiet for. Hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I think he knows that anyway. He appreciates that anyway, so he knows he understands himself, which is good. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, what about the toughest opponent in your career? You mentioned Michael Galt earlier and get one up against Galtay. Who would be your toughest opponent as a centre midfielder? Yeah, you know, Michael was always a tough competitor. Um, even Leeper, when I was a young kid playing in Matau, he played midfield at times, was a tough opponent. Um Thinking George McMullen at Cliftonville, um, even Jamie Mulgrew um, was just a tough opponent. Jamie had this ability, or he still has the ability to to drive you forward, drive you up and down the pitch. And I think he's one of Olympians, me and men. But for me, probably an unorthodox one. But I think looking back when I started out, I found it really tough playing against him was Darren Lockhart. Um, Lockie obviously played for the Crews. But he was just a complete player. He was box to box. He never stopped. He was hard. He was physical. He always seemed to injury. He was a bit like Decky Goodell. He just he was bony and he always got his foot in and it was hard to play against. So I always found it difficult to, to play against Darn. Um, and he would I would probably say he's probably been the toughest, I would say. That's an interesting one. I didn't see that one coming at all. No, it was a wee uh, curveball there. It was, it was. What about um, the player that you feel complimented you the most as a cinema fielder, either a partner or maybe a trio? Um, I'm trying to think back. I remember I played a lot with Sammy Klingon in midfield with the Northern Ireland 21s. Yeah. And Sammy was a, a, just, he was unbelievable. He was just different class. Uh, obviously, it was, it was done to have a great career and he went on to have a good international career with the senior squad. I really enjoyed playing with him and we, we both complimented each other really well. Um, David Howland as well at Glentor. We just connected and we had that understanding and he would give me the ball and I would give him the ball in tight areas and you know, and really enjoyed that. But for me personally, when I look back, when did I play my best football? It would have to be my first season winning the league with the Crews and I think perhaps Decky Cadell is the player that perhaps compliments me the best because one thing about Decky, Decky knows what he's good at and knows what he what he perhaps is uh, not good at to such. And he was just he was my legs really. He was my you know he was getting about and he was taking defenders away with his runs and, and creating space unwittingly for me to get on the ball. And I would say he's a player that I feel that I enjoyed most playing with. Um, and the trust and we had in each other and just and that you know we became such good friends as well and I think that's important when you're you're developing partnerships and um I would say it has to be Decky. Not surprising, you know, he runs all day. Decky yeah. run, just run run for miles. Machine. And yeah. it help it helps alongside you know that season to win the league title to go alongside that. Um but maybe to go away from that a high moment of winning a league title the hardest moment of your career would it have been that League Cup final defeat um, back with Nuri? What would have been the hardest moment of your career? Um, the hardest moment probably for me was being relegated with Van de Miller. Probably I would say is the hardest moment in my career. Alongside leaving Crusaders, I would say runs at a close second, but it was just... The fact that, you know, 
we had we had really pegged back that season when Harry came in. You know, we nearly did it. We only got relegated on goal difference. And we went to Ards the week before and we had drew the game when we should have won the game. Uh, and we had taken over Carrick in the league. And they, we thought that we'd, we'd done enough to stay up. We did that, but we got a poor result away from home against Ards that Saturday, as I said. And we went to the Oval and really outplayed Glentorn, beat them 3-1. It was just at togetherness after the game. It was quite emotional, quite teary, uh, because I'd never experienced, as I said, being clapped off by fans before that just been relegated. It was such a letdown and such a I just knew the aftermath that it would have, you know, that the club had built up such a, a reputation for itself. And you know, going out of the premiership was such a big thing, even for the youth setup and that prestige of being a, being affiliated to a premiership club, you know, the impact was massive. But that would probably be the, the most difficult moment for me of, of my career. Yeah, I can imagine that, especially as you said, you know, being clapped off by supporters and, you know, you've never really experienced that at a a relegation sort of period. Um, Interesting one up next for you. The most professional teammate of your career and then the craziest teammate of your career. Um, The most professional, I think, has to be Craig McLean. Has to be. Um, Yeah, just Craig. He... (laughs) It's just Craig. He basically goes to bed every Friday night when he was a player, 10 o'clock religiously, regardless of what was happening. Um, Craig was in bed at 10. doesn't matter what was on. He, football was his, his number one. And I think we're, we're very similar, the two of us, how we see things and how we approach things. Um, even his boots, his kit, his gear, his approach to training, we, we call him Dennis Erwin in training because Craig played left back because Craig was left back. So, you know, the likes of BJ thinking he was a forward, he ended up up front in training. Even Shaw was coming out and playing in the games, but Craig, you know, I played left back. And he, no matter if it was a small sided game or, or a match, Craig approached it the same way. And even on a, on a match day, he was always a half day of work, man. He always took a half day in his work to come to go out of work and prepare and I think poor Rosie is his partner and she has a difficult with him now um, I think he's mellowed a wee bit now but I know he's coaching the ballet player and he and I are we talk quite regularly we talk too much perhaps during the week um, but he, I can see his professionalism coming out now in his coaching career that I've seen as a player and He's someone who, who I value a lot and someone whose guidance I value a lot going forward. And, you know, what a player he was as well for Crusaders. He was Mr. Reliable. And um, again, it's perhaps a decision perhaps that the Crusaders haven't felt since, since he's left. No, 100% agree. Like, well, I, I really enjoyed chatting to Craig on the podcast because one of the things I find fascinating, especially in, in football, is consistency. And he was just consistent every single week. Um, we knew you were getting every week with him. He was solid every single week, no matter who we played. And I, I find the consistency aspect of football just fascinates me. Um, what about the craziest teammate? <laughs> the craziest? They're all goalkeepers, would you believe? They're all like we were mad. The likes of Elliot Morris and even Richard Brush at Baldwin Miller. But I think Sean's probably definitely the the craziest person of uh, play with I say crazy but crazy in a good way crazy in a funny way uh, 
he's really, you know, he rubs off on people. People warm to him and he's so welcoming, but it's just things he does. I'm sure you've seen some of his speeches on, on YouTube and just, he's just a real good guy. And it just, every time you think about him, you just laugh, but he's a real warm side, side to him as well. And as I said previously to you, you know, Sean was the life and soul of our dressing room uh, at Crusaders. You know, he picked you up when you were down, you know, he'd give you a pat on the back when you needed it. And, you know, we'd, we'd always, always these running jokes. Uh, we sat beside each other in the dressing room and, you know, and he just was a funny guy. And But as I say, I probably can't tell you all the stories to really explain why he's the craziest, but I think hopefully you'll just have to take my word for it. There. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, Richard. I'll take, I'll take yeah. your word. Um, yeah. out, of all, out of all the trophies you won, you mentioned the league was something you needed to win. Is there any, and we talked about the League Cup medal and the vindication because it was exactly one year on from the defeat against Portadown. Is there one trophy that sticks out to you the most as perhaps your favourite? Um, obviously, the Irish Cup final was special because it's, it's a day out because of the situation that season with Glentorn. And I remember my first boy, Noah, was my mascot that day, carrying Noah on the pitch and having your family there and, and that. But for me, that medal has to be, you know, second to the, the first league medal that we won. As I say, that embracement of the players on the pitch, that embracement with Craig in the centre circle, it, it makes it really all worthwhile. And I remember um, being at the, the Sports Personality of the Year Awards, the Odyssey, when, when BBC brought it to, to Belfast, and they interviewed... Um, A.P. McCoy about his success and introduced him into the Hall of Fame and I know we're perhaps not talking about in that circumstance and that, that situation but they asked him the question of how did he get there and, and why did he get there and it's something I didn't think about throughout my career but I think if I put that one moment that moment of winning the league title into uh, context his response was make the sacrifices it's worth it so when I look back, I actually look back at my own career when he talked, made that sort of phrase, that context, and, and I'd made sacrifices. I did the travel. Uh, I did my sort of apprenticeship with the likes of Oma, with Nuri. I, I went through hard times with the Torn and a women mentality. I drove three nights a week to Belfast to train. I had the heartache of not playing. You know, I've had the heartache of perhaps, you know, the league isn't going to happen for you, but I kept going the nights, the cold, wet night of training, but all came to flourishing, really, that Saturday at Solitude when we won our first league title, and those sacrifices that I made was definitely worth it that day for, for, for to get your, your uh, hands in those wee dust collectors, or as Stevie calls them, Stevie Baxter, they end up being a dust collector, but the memories you gave them is, is just, uh, is what makes the medal as such, and, and I would definitely say it's that first medal that first league medal would be the, the ultimate for me i mean as a supporter you know we don't maybe see all the sacrifices that the, the players make you know with driving to and from training and maybe from distance and missing out times with the family we kind of maybe just see what goes on on a saturday to an extent and i think looking behind the curtain a little bit and seeing that sacrifice for us as supporters i think I'm glad that you feel it's worthwhile because you gave us some phenomenal memories too. And I think that's very, very key as a supporter and um, that we try and understand to an extent what's going on behind that curtain to, to, yeah. to a degree. 
yeah, the players do make a lot of sacrifices. They definitely do. And as you say, weddings and stag parties and, you know, things like that that your mates are enjoying. But I think you have to be selfish, you know, for me. Like, this is how selfish I am, but this is just the way I was. And, like, you know, that's talking to Craig and the way he is. That's why I think we're quite similar. You know, summer holiday for me never was interrupted. You know, I, I couldn't go on holiday because we had Europe. I couldn't go on a holiday because I couldn't settle myself because it was pre-season. And you always, you always, pre-season was a, a new start for everybody again. As a player, it was so important because you felt you had to come back in good shape. And as I say, my holidays were taken at a time that didn't, you know, didn't clash with my football. And, and to do that, you need a good understanding family and a good understanding partner and, and, Definitely the players make a lot of sacrifices for that. And as I say, you know, to win things and to, to really enjoy those moments, then you, you do have to make those sacrifices. And I think it's, it's maybe young players now maybe don't perhaps uh, appreciate how hard it is to actually win a league title. Uh, they just maybe expect. So um, definitely would something that would be recommended to others who are trying to make their way in the game to, to make those sacrifices. Yeah, 100%. And I think sort of social media doesn't really help because football, especially when in Northern Ireland, we, we look a lot to England and the Premier League and everything's so quick fire in England. We want it now and every club wants success now and the hiring and firing of managers and the transfer business and it's crazy and all that sort of stuff. And I think in terms of social media, there's a demand and an, a, and an idea that perhaps fans can demand and want success instantly. And I think that comes as well from the ties we have with, with England and English football. And it is a little bit different over home in Northern Ireland that there is a time, there is a lot more, I don't know, maybe a process of time involved with building something and creating something and even fixing something. Um, if we look even at where Crusaders are this season. Um, and I think that's key as well. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I'm a Man United fan and, you know, I grew up, only knowing one way, Man United were winning, winning, win, win. And now as a fan, I you're so frustrated that, that that's not happening anymore. And but I also have empathy, you know, I understand football and how it involves. And you know, you look at Man City and you look at Liverpool, everybody has their time. And I think if you contrast that to the Irish League, you know, you've got an up-and-coming Larn, you've got Glen Torn rejuvenated, you have Linfield who will always be there, who have now gone into a full-time model. Um and you've got Cliftonville who have aspirations again, Korean. You know, you've got a real competitive league there. Um, I think I read somewhere recently, you know, if you don't win the league, you must finish in the European spots. You know, that's that in itself now is a is a is a must uh, because of where you want to go to as a club. Um, but as you say, social media has a it can have its pros and its cons, but I think. Thankfully, when, when in my Irish League career, such you, you had the Irish League forums going on, and uh, not too many players would ever would have dwelt into those. But I think you have to be a strong character, and you have to have a strong self belief in yourself that you know you have to understand that these people are behind a, a computer, or or perhaps don't know the whole ins and outs of the circumstances. But it's important as a fan that you try and understand that there's a human being behind it all, and. As players, you know, we don't go out and mean to make mistakes. You know, I know personally speaking from myself that I've always given 100%. Uh, I've had loads and loads of terrible games, bad games, but 
you know, the players really need to, it's those players who pick themselves up. And I think you used the word there recently, Darren, not too long ago there, in the interview about consistency. It's those players who, who show consistency on a weekly basis that, that are successful. You find that those others who aren't consistent, then they don't really make it to the top. and They look for excuses rather than solutions to, to their problems. And, uh, but I really do hope and pray that the Crusaders get back back on track. And, you know, there's too many good players. There's too such a, a club has established itself now as a, as a big club. And um, I have no doubt that they can get back to that. At top level again. Yeah, hopefully, and and I share exactly that as well. Being a being a yeah. supporter, but Richard, um, some of your teammates from over the years, you know, with Paul Lehman, with Craig McLean, Dermot O'Carroll, Colin Nixon, and a lot more, have went into the coaching aspect of football. Is that somewhere you see yourself in the future? Do you see yourself having a little break before doing that? You've talked about your closest with Craig, so I feel like there's there might be something in that coaching side for you. Yeah, well, there's a story. Obviously, we had planned to do it together, um, but I had this crazy idea about having another child. So I had. So <laughs> I know you yourself, Darren, you're expecting your first child I haven't talked to you, so I wish you well that now. But um, I was planning to do my coaching, my B license with Craig that summer, and obviously my wife had just given birth. So to go to Belfast that week, and she had a section, and... Uh, all the difficulties surrounded that, I just felt I couldn't have left her. And I sort of I put it to the back burner uh, then for a while because of my job, a teaching job. I, haven't, I wasn't permanent in work and I had to take days off and unpaid leave and things like that. But thankfully, I've been made permanent in my teaching job now. And, and that definitely going forward uh, next summer is I'll definitely be delving into to my badges and, and trying to get those done. Um, it's somewhere, something I want to do. Um, I don't know if it's whether it's going to be coaching or really looking at management in particular and, and letting others uh, coach for you or, or having not so much a, a pitch coach all the time. Um, but as I say, um, again, do a tick time out after retire. Um, I definitely know one thing for sure is I'm not going to retire anytime soon because I've been out for a full year. And being home on a Saturday whilst your wife is working with three kids is tough going. So that has definitely put the retirement plans out of my head. But as I say, I might take a year out. I might not. Um, I love going to watch United um, with my mates and stuff. So again, that's the sacrifices that you miss. Being a footballer over the years, you just can't get all the time. But uh, as I say, my boys are mad into football as well. And the satisfaction you get for taking from taking them to their football and seeing them the enjoyment in their faces is, is great as well. So I'll definitely not go out of football, uh, but I very much say that coaching will be something I will be doing for for a long time. And I think ask any player, it can never replace that buzz. And I don't think it'll ever replace the buzz of playing, but at least it keeps you in the game, it keeps you in the dressing room, it keeps that that sense of togetherness and that ethos of a team and that's something I know and, and that's the only thing I do know and I've just such a passion and for football I'll never want to leave the game uh, and I never want to come out of it in, in any context at all. Good to hear that and I'm glad to hear that you're not planning to retire anytime soon you've got the spirit of you got the spirit of Sean Ward you know you'll go to your 40 and then make that decision of what you're going to do. <laughs> yeah well John Collier goalkeeper is 44 and he's 
he's the example and Ryan Campbell or centre forward he's 40 now and he's still buying goals in so um, I, look at, I look after myself pretty well so um, hopefully that that commitment and that dedication will hopefully keep me playing for a few more years but I think once you you know as a player when you stop contributing the way you can contribute then I think you know as a player thankfully Darren and I have never ever blessed with pace so as I got older it's never really impacted me and Thankfully, Harry, being the good man that he is, he's got a lot of legs in around me. So uh, I can just concentrate and try and get the ball, trying to pass it. So um, as I say, I've been thankful of that. So uh, no, retirement is put in the back burner for, for a while yet. Great to hear. And long may, long may your career continue, Richard. But it's yeah. been my absolute pleasure having you on the podcast today. I hope you've enjoyed it. We've reminisced about some of the, the great memories of your career, some of the highs, a little, a little, some of the lows to the, this lesser degree, I suppose, concerning the amount of highs you've had in your career. But Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show today. No problem, Darren. I was just even talking to you and, and thinking back on those memories, you know, just it just shows you much to be to you. I'm actually, you actually get a wee bit of goosebumps, you know, actually <laughs> thinking about your experiences that you had and, I think maybe that's because when we get a little bit older as well, and you know, you, you tend to appreciate it more towards the end of what you've achieved. And I think the thing about it is, is you know, the people that you achieve it with and the friendships. I think I haven't really touched on that, but the friendships that, that I've gained from football will be a lifetime. And you know, uh, Craig is just one example um, of many. Um, but as I say, it's, it's just football gives you so much. Um, I've been so lucky and so thankful for it and I'm truly blessed with the career I've had. That's the busyness of football too and right back to the, the first so Irish league player that I spoke to, Howard Beverland, and something he said, he never really sat down and looked back at his career and you kind of, because of the busyness of football, you know, season after season, then Europe and you don't really have time to sit and relax and and then you're just right back into it again. And I think it's it, it's brilliant, I think, just being able to sit back and look back and reminisce on those memories as well. No, well, definitely. It's, you know, you get time to reflect on it all. And, you know, you realise what you did go through to actually get to where you want to be. And as I say, it's, it's definitely hard work. It just doesn't come, you know, overnight. And it's uh, even hard. You know, we talk about hard, they hard. You know, came to Crusaders, I remember him well. He came because he needed to win a league title. Unfortunately, he lost that opportunity in that first scene with through the league well, but away. And I remember texting them that following year when they won at the Balamina, and that's what it's all about. And you know, thankfully, I heard his experience that as well. And again, you know, we talk about good people in the game, and what a fantastic guy Heard is. And you know, he's he's well liked amongst the cruise people, and he's a he's an absolute gentleman. Absolutely, he is, and just like yourself, Richard, fan favorite up at Seaview and um, I'm sure that the boys when they listen to this they'll be more than happy I'm having a laugh and enjoying listening to, to your memories of, of your time at, up at Seaview as well but um, Richard once again thank you so much for coming on the show it's been it's been a lot of fun thank you Darren appreciate it thank you for listening to the conversation with myself and Richard Clark just a reminder you can find me on Facebook Twitter YouTube Instagram at the podcast give me a follow give me a like and see the other upcoming content cheers and have a great weekend